the advice. Dr. Doreen. The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. And I can see that my, my lens cleaning cloth is on, sitting on the table. Clean up, Shannon. Uh, in any case, uh, as I was saying, we're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. So, very proud uh, to be with you this morning on this lovely Wednesday. We've got a jam-packed show for you. You know that on Wednesdays, uh, when we, whenever we have the opportunity, we have Dr. Doreen Grand-Bichet live in the studio with us answering your questions. Unfortunately, we do not have her this week. She has other places that she has to be, and sometimes that is the case. In just a few minutes, we're going to show you a previously recorded uh, Ask Dr. Doreen, and I think that you will enjoy that. The rest of the show, though, we will be live, and I will be with you live while you're watching Ask Dr. Doreen so you can send questions in. Uh, the second hour we have Nancy Allspot Jackson joining me for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Fabulous guests on the show. We've got Chris Hall who is an amazing entrepreneur who has started a company and by the way he identifies himself as an autistic entrepreneur. Um, he's got an amazing company that's known as Computers for the Autistic Foundation. So I know you're going to want to hear more about that and what's he, what he's up to um, and how we can have more individuals like him uh, being entrepreneurs. And then we also, I mean, this is big doings, you guys. We have Dr. Mary Barbara, who is going to be with us. She is a mom, but she is also a BCBA. Got, you know, major props, right? Um, and her book, which just tore it up a couple of years ago, was the verbal behavior approach how to teach children with autism and related disorders it's sold more than 50,000 copies and it's been translated into 10 languages so she's going to be here with us uh, well via Skype anyway uh, answering some questions that we have for her and that's going to be very very exciting plus we have in the news um, and a bunch of other things to talk about so uh, that's what our show is today plus I wanted to take just a minute at the start of the show to say that I am a little tired. I'm just going to cop to that. I'm a little tired because I just got back last night late uh, from spending two days up in Sacramento visiting with parents and with staff at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders in the Sacramento and surrounding area. And, you know, like it's amazing. I was thinking about it this morning. I was like, how can one person be so tired and so energized at the same time? Because... Uh, for me, having an opportunity to get out 
of the studio here and to be places where I meet people like you. Good people that are out there trying to help individuals who are on the autism spectrum and good parents and other guardians and caregivers who are desperately trying to help the person that they care about on the spectrum to reach whatever goals that they feel are important to themselves or, you know, uh, sometimes it's a goal that the family wants. Sometimes it's a goal that the person who is trying to reach it is like, that's not important to me. Uh, but it's important to the people around them. And once they get a taste of what it's like to have that goal, it becomes important to the person. Uh, so I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that we got an opportunity because Cecilia Knight and I were both up together in, in Sacramento. And um, my goodness, my goodness, I, I come back from those kinds of trips filled with so much hope and energy to see so many young people who have devoted their lives to helping people on the autism spectrum just oh, just takes my breath away, right? And to see so many families who are doing the hard work to be able to give their kiddos the opportunities that they deserve. And, and it's not easy. Can we all just admit that and, and you know, not pretend that this is an easy thing to do, but it's such a worthwhile thing to do. I know that. I know that because I'm a parent of a young man who was diagnosed at two and a half and people had told me not to have hope and I just call foul on that. There's every reason to have hope. Wherever you're watching us in the world, I want you to know that there are kids getting better, there are young adults getting better every single day when we give them the proper opportunities and we can do that now more than ever. Even if you don't have an ABA center in the town that you live, there are resources that we talk about here on the show to help you to get done what you need to get done to help that individual or to help yourself to make the progress that you so richly deserve. So I just wanted to say thank you to all the Sacramento families that sacrificed to come out and meet with us and tell us their stories. Man, man, I'm, I'm so proud to know you and to all the staff members who just worked incredibly long hours uh, to not only do their regular jobs, but to show up and, and talk to us about what they were doing and, um, and get additional training that we had for them. It was just a very exciting two days. It feels like it was two months, but it was two days, two, two long days, but so, so worth it. All right, my friends, uh, so don't forget, we've got a big, big uh, show for you. This first hour is pre-recorded, but then we're going to be back joining you live. I'll be hanging with you live as you watch this next hour. Thank you, Traven, because I didn't even bother telling people how that they could reach us. The whole two hours, we will still be here live and you can interact with us. Traven's showing you some of the different ways that you can connect. I do want to remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com and we have a brand new website there. So please visit, you know, when we're live, it says live on the top and you can click on that and it will open on your screen. On the bottom of the page, it says chat, click on that and it opens up a box. You will find that whenever you are on the, the homepage for more than seven seconds, a box will pop up that will say, don't you want to subscribe? 
and all you have to do is fill that out and subscribe and what you're subscribing to is that you will get our weekly postcard that tells you who's going to be on the show we don't spam you we just don't believe in that life is too short for that but it'll hook you up with information that we think is important the only other time that we send you information is if something has changed like if we're going to do a live feed that we didn't know we were going to do or if we Sometimes I'll call uh, Dr. Grandin, Temple Grandin, and I'll say, Temple, I'd like to make an appointment to have you be on the show. And Temple is, you know, she's scheduled to the max, but sometimes she'll say to me, Shannon, I can't do it then, but I can do it right now. Uh, let's get it done right now. Let's do an interview right now. You got questions for me? And so when that's possible, we, we like do something right then. Wouldn't you like to know when that's happening? That's why I sign up and subscribe. Uh, but if you don't want to subscribe, that's fine. Just click the little X. It goes away. It won't come back up until the next time you're there. And I apologize, but we want you guys to get the information. I do believe that once you subscribe from that device, that the box doesn't pop up anymore. If you don't find that to be true, let me know, please. All right. Uh, so it is time for us for, to visit Ask Dr. Doreen. Here it is. Dr. Doreen Grand is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand Dr. Grand Dr. Doreen Grand Dr. Doreen Grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. So our first question uh, comes to us from our fabulous viewer, DJ Phillips, DJ. Uh, who gave us permission to say his name, otherwise I don't, but DJ has been on our show and he's a wonderful, and by the way, I, I sent the message up to you afterwards, but last week he was very concerned because I didn't say a happy birthday to you from him on the air, and DJ calls me on these things. I love DJ. DJ, thank you. I did get your uh, birthday wishes. Sarah, my assistant, actually told me, and yes. so thank you so much, DJ. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, and uh, and I checked DJ to make sure that, the, and Sarah said, no, 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 already delivered, um, so it's all good. Uh, but DJ wrote it in and asked if he could be first, and I, and I like to, DJ does all kinds of things for us. He monitors, he keeps Kelby and I on our toes. It's fabulous. Uh, it is fabulous. Okay, so my question is, I believe in recovery, DJ writes, but since there is no cure for autism, how can there be recovery from autism? Yeah, it's a great question. A, it's a very deep question. <clears throat> These are the types of things DJ throws at us. I yes. love it. You know, it's there's for many years there's been a lot of controversy about both the word recovery and the word cure. Um, I being sort of English being my second language, I'm not very convinced there's a huge difference in the two. Uh, there is somewhat of a difference. It's a very kind of subtle difference, I suppose. But let me tell you how I think about it. The way that I look at it is that from the perspective of a diagnostician. So, you know, we all go through life and we all have different strengths and weaknesses. And if our behaviors, let's say, are differences, um, you know, like for instance, I, I might need eight hours of sleep, you might need five. Um, I might have a reaction to certain types of people, you might, whatever, we're all right. different. But if, if our differences get to a point where they become 
they make it difficult for us to go through life, like they become incapacitating. Let's say you, because of something that is you, you have a hard time at work. Um, because of something in your behavior, uh, you can't establish relationships. Um, various things like that. If those things exist, and they exist to a level that is damaging to the individual, um, in other words, <clears throat> it, it keeps the individual isolated, it keep makes the individual non-functional, non-adaptive, um, then those things are considered a disorder or a disability. Um, so I always, as you know, Shannon, I use the example of alcoholism because it's just one of those interesting diagnoses. Um, you know, and if you cannot diagnose someone on having alcohol dependence, um, or alcohol abuse mm -hmm. based on how much they drink. It has nothing right. to do with it. Right. Um, all you look at is really how they interact with the world once they, during their drinking, you know. So for instance, someone can drink a whole bottle of scotch every night, but as long as they do really well with their family and as they, long as they do well at work, then they're not considered to have a problem. And so these are the things that are very important because then the, the, the meaning of recovery also interacts with that. And what that means is that you would be classified as recovered from autism, let's say, mm -hmm. if you did not meet the specific uh, symptoms of autism to a level that made it difficult for you to function at work and home. So, so let me just describe that a little bit. Symptoms of autism are you have to have these three specific symptoms in the area of uh, let's say s uh, social communication and you have to have these specific symptoms in the area of uh, repetitive stereotypical behaviors and unless those are met let's say out of five symptoms you only have four then you won't classify for diagnosis of ASD you must have the five now if you don't have the five let's say you still have um, some problems with social behavior, then your diagnosis would be something else. You know, it'd be social communication disorder, but it wouldn't be ASD. So in all reality, you could say, I've recovered from ASD, you know, because you don't have ASD, you don't qualify. ASD requires those symptoms. Uh, the same would be, for instance, if you had, let's say, a language disorder and you were diagnosed, you could say, I've recovered from that language disorder, even if you still had some problems with fluency, let's say, or if you had some dish difficulty expressing yourself. As long as you didn't meet the criteria, you've recovered. Mm -hmm. Now when we define recovery for our kids with ASD, uh, they might have smaller uh, kind of not so pervasive disorders still. They might have slight language disabilities, they might have slight social disorders. In fact, most of them it, to some extent in adulthood might experience some issues with executive functioning or with working memory. They might not be able to function in multimodal situations very, very well, but they're, they are not outside of the norm by any means. They're just like everyone else. You know, some of us do really well when there's 10 things going on. Others do really poorly when there's 10 things going on, and our kids who are recovered will fit in there somewhere. Yeah. So that's kind of the, dis now a cure to me means a completely different thing. It means like, <clears throat> it's almost, cure doesn't really apply in my mind to mental disorders of any kind mm -hmm. because 
cure to me it's almost like there was something and we took that thing away and now you're a different per like you no longer are burdened with that thing right with recovery i feel like you always have some aspect of it in you but you've learned ways to overcome it you've learned ways to function normally in the world even though it might be harder for you to tolerate people or sounds or whatever it is does that make sense it's a little it totally different. does I, I find myself more the more i learn about this i throw in the sentence the the part of the, the clause uh disabling aspects so i yes. say they have recovered from the disabling aspects of autism they right. still have autism <clears throat> right their brain is still wired differently but it's as though we went and we took all the <clears throat> hurdles that made it right. impossible for that individual to do what they want to. Not what we want them to do, but what they want. Okay, and I'll take that a little step further. Okay. Because they don't still have autism. Because if they did, they would have all five symptoms. Now, don't forget, we made up the name autism. Right. We defined autism as not a state of being, but a state of being that yeah. is defined by these five symptoms. Yes. So if you don't have those, you don't. You cannot say I have ASD. Right? Well, and, but I think there's a there is a growing movement of people who want to have autism mm -hmm. and ASD, which is the disorder. There are people who say there are parts of my autism that are not a disorder. Right. I think we need to find a whole new lexicon, whole new set of words for because we shouldn't be saying autism. We should be saying <coughs> autisms. And as people like you phenotype it, and I know that's something that you're working on, sure. that we're going to start to have, you know, different names for things. I, I did a blog a while back and said, why don't we, why don't we throw it all out and start saying, well, my, my son has blue green Davulo uh, with a, with a rising LO, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Which Absolutely. will describe, because when I say my son is on the autism spectrum and Nancy says her son is on the autism spectrum, it sounds like the same thing and it's not. They're so different. Yeah. Now, so I have so many thoughts about this. DJ, look what you got us started Yes. On. See, we're excited, DJ. Because, see, the thing for me is, Shannon, that I have already been through five DSMs. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when I started autism, the definition of autism was completely something else. At DSM-3, it required 16 symptoms. That's mm. it. Uh, then there was DSM-4. Then there was DSM-4R. Then there was DSM-5. You know, it right. constantly changes, right? Right. So when it ch when a diagnosis, and these are like, these symptoms must be present for you to have. And now the name has even changed, right? right. It used to be autism. It became autistic disorder. Now it became autism spectrum disorder. It's always something. And so when that happens, it basically what I always, when I, give lectures, I always say what that means is we don't really know what we're talking about, mm. right? Because you can't really take a disorder or something, right? A state of being, let's not even call it a disorder. Let's just call it a state of being and redefine it every few years, right? right. That means either the state of being is changing drastically or mm. we're becoming much more aware of what it means to have that, right. which I think it's the latter. I don't think, I think the spectrum is huge. And I think we still insist on putting all these individuals in one box. Right. And as long as we do that, it's going to still change definition because the person with Asperger's, and the, which it falls under ASD, right. and the person with severe autistic disorder are not the same. You know, they're yes. quite different. Now, but all of that aside, all of that aside, there's one reason, there's only, there's essentially, let's say, one reason which leads to a few other things that we actually do want to call it something. Yeah. 
That reason is help. Right, funding. If we don't call it something, yeah. it's not just funding. Funding is a result, right? Funding okay. is like if you have ASD, you'll get funding now. Okay, so that's a great thing, and it requires that name. But the other side is, imagine if you got funding, but now we started and said, hey, what should we do with you? Maybe we should do magnetic therapy. Maybe we should do running. Maybe we should, it's the connection of the intervention with the thing. So it's kind of like, oh, history has shown that ABA works with individuals with these issues, with this specific being, sense of being, ABA works. You know what, if you didn't have that name of ASD or autism, you wouldn't get ABA. You might get something else. Well, and, and I so that's that. important. So the putting grouping people is the same as what I'm very passionate about is phenotyping. It's yeah. the same reason. When you group people, for instance, we group all individuals who are blind right. because they will learn Braille. Right. And that will allow them to communicate. Now, have they recovered or been cured? Well, they've been cured. They haven't been cured, obviously, but they've recovered from the disability yeah. of not being able to communicate and so on. We've taught right. them a way to communicate now. Yes. Okay. So autism, in a sense, is the same thing. It's not like we're changing the inner person. Right. We're giving them ways to integrate into society. That's it. If we didn't, if, and that's my answer, that's always my answer to people who say, but I don't want to change. Okay, then you can't integrate into this right. society. This society has some rules. Maybe someone who goes and lives in, let's say, the mountainous you know, villages of, of Nepal will not need to learn the same communication and attention and so on and so forth that is part of this society. But if you want to integrate with other people, there's a set of rules. Yeah. And we all have to adhere to those rules, not just you. I have to adhere to them too. When I go to a movie theater, I also can't scream. Right. I also can't get up and like move around 10 times. I also have to be aware of all the people around me. I also have to tolerate lights like this. It might be har harder for you, it probably is, but other things are harder for me. So to me, it's all one thing, it's a choice. Exactly. It's a choice and w because autism is a childhood disorder, parents get to choose. Yes. It's really that simple. Parents get to choose for their children whether they would like them to go through a few years of intensive intervention to learn ways to acclimate and adapt and be part of society or not. And I think <coughs> the word, I, I'm so glad you used the word it's a choice because I think it's important. I, I'm, it's a ridiculous example, but I remember my mother teaching us when we were kids. She said, I'm going to teach you how to clean the house. Yes. That doesn't mean you're going to grow up and keep a clean house. That's right. But you have the skills, so if you choose to do it, you will know what to do. Exactly. And we, when, you know, when people talk about, well, maybe he wants to grow up, talking about my son, maybe he wants to grow up and he doesn't want to do that. That's fine. But I, I want for him if he does that, for it to have been a choice, not what he was left with exactly. because of a disorder. Because he did, wasn't given the opportunity. Exactly. That's ex absolutely the most important thing. And now autism, and I will be brave again and take it a step further, with the current prevalence rates, 
it becomes less and less of an individual choice because with one in 65 individuals, or as we believe one in 55 individuals now, it also starts to become a financial burden on society. Yeah. Because if you don't learn to communicate, if you don't learn enough things to actually hold down a job, if you don't learn how to be safe, if you don't learn how to not uh, hurt others, yeah. uh, then, then society will have to take care of you. And society will have to mold around you um, rather than you molding to society. So with these numbers, it becomes harder and harder for us to just say, sure, everyone who has ASD can pick and choose. Fact is, we, it will become, it's impossible for society to mold to as many different individuals yeah. as there are now. Nancy and I have a study that we're going to talk about later in the show that um, is just recently out talking about dollar amounts of how, uh, how expensive it is to take care of an individual who is a child on the autism spectrum and how expensive it is to take care of an adult. And the numbers are wildly different. Yes. So, um, and this is one of the things that is hard when we're talking to politicians, uh, trying to get people on board. We've come a long way with yes. getting ABA funded, but we have to sit down and explain. We had to do that in California with the governor. Look, we know this is expensive to treat kids, but, you know, so maybe you spend $200,000 over the next couple of years on ABA, quality ABA for this child, but you're going to save millions because it's $2.5 to take care of this child if you don't. Yeah, and I don't know which study you'll be reviewing, but there's also studies, Shannon, that talk about not just the cost of taking care of this individual if you don't, but but it also, you have to realize, you have to also add the cost of the parents of that individual not being able to work because they are taking Absolutely. care of this individual. So that's also part of the added cost. It's, a, it's an incredible, you know, it just accumulates hugely over yeah. the cost of a lifetime. It's huge. It's huge. So we are going to be talking about that later. But um, DJ, you see what you, you started a firestorm. I hope, Good combo, I hope you're DJ. happy. Yeah, very good. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and answer a question that came in on the Facebook. Uh, actually came in on the card Facebook site talking about romance and mm. that kind of sexual attraction and all of that and, and where to go as a resource for that for our individuals on the spectrum. So stick with us. More of Ask Dr. Doreen after these messages. Welcome back to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampichet. She is answering your questions in real time. We had a question that actually came in on the CARD Facebook site, and they shared that with us so that we could answer it here. Um, uh, they wrote and said, hey there, I'm wondering if you have any videos or knowledge in regards to young adults and romance slash sexual attraction with autism slash Asperger's syndrome. Whilst I've known about the condition for years and, and have done all of the above, I'm curious to find out more information and to see things that I may be doing wrong, right, or may never have thought about doing in regards to communication and emotion. Um, and I was sharing with Dr. Grampache during the break that this is a, a, a very real issue for our, our young adults and adults who are on the autism spectrum that they want to connect mm -hmm. with other people and, um, and to have happy, romantic, sexual encounters and mm -hmm. relationships. And it, when it doesn't happen, it's so, I hear from them uh, and it's so frustrating for them that my heart bleeds. 
there, there are a lot of different resources, and we can talk about um, some of those, some of the places. One of the things that I always re recommend is to go to, um, I can't think of Alex's side, Weird, weirdplanet.net. Yes, yes. Um, and Alex Plank, wrong planet, thank you. Wrongplanet.com. Wrong uh, I couldn't come up with it. Wrongplanet.net. Forgive me, Alex. Uh, you can you can slap me later. Alex is a good friend of mine. Alex Plank created that site when he was 16 years old, and it is just for individuals who are on the spectrum to be able to connect with each other. Make sure that you go to .net, not .com. Wrongplanet.net. And he has some videos on there. Um, I believe some of them are with Dr. Liz Logason, mm -hmm. um, where uh, they talk about flirting, mm -hmm. and she walks him through how to flirt, wh what, how, how much eye contact to make that have to have it be right, and how much is creepy, because <laughs> it takes. There's a small fine line, right? Yes. Yes. And um, I, I just find that they're done really well and with humor, but good, good content. Um, that's great. Yes. I mean, and Liz is fantastic. She has a really good program also for social development for younger, like teenagers, mm -hmm. essentially, and social interaction, which covers some of this stuff as well, her peers program. And Liz is an example of the type of person that could help you go through this. I, at CARD, we generally do, we have a series of supervisors who are, I guess, trained or experienced to work with higher functioning individuals it's sort of more of our executive functioning cognition type people and we will work them through this i recently have started using much more of our psychologists our healthcare clinic we have a healthcare clinic with licensed psychologists and and i find here at card dr daniel oakley is very experienced with teenagers and issues of suicide and anxiety depression also sexuality and so on and a lot of that is what you get through cognitive behavior therapy. It's not ABA. Mm -hmm. It's talk therapy. It's basically taking you through and explaining you. It's more like uh, cognitive mental th exercises and things you can do to uh, help with, you know, just self-confidence. Uh, a lot of, I think, you know, it's funny because I read this, this thing you just read, and I think to myself, anyone could say this any teenager Absolutely. could say that while i've known about you know how to uh, deal with romance and sexual uh, attraction i'm curious is there more information see th how i might be doing things wrong or right or something i've never thought of any teenager yeah. you know this is a new experience for all teens and early 20s right it's a, it's a different feeling, first of all. The chemistry and the attraction to others is a very new feeling. It's funny because I was having this conversation with my daughter early this morning. And it's a very new feeling, and you don't know kind of what to do with that feeling. And then there's, it, it's a very uh, uh, naked or transparent sharing of emotions with someone else. And it's so, sort of like, you might be very you might have a very direct way of sharing your emotions and the other person might have a very defensive uh, way of sharing their emotions or protective and not and be very overwhelmed even though they might feel the same they might feel very overwhelmed if you express yourself uh, and they might be more you know um, liking or desiring of someone who's who's less sharing or whatever it is it's the very first time in life that our true uh, unego protected emotions uh, come into contact with someone else's and so it's a very 
it's much, much more complicated than teaching someone these are some techniques to use. It's not about the techniques at all. If it's about one single thing, it's about reading other people's uh, perceptions. It's about theory of mind. Relationships and establishing or doing anything, attraction, sexual, romance, having a relationship, having a bond, is by definition the ability to read someone else's thoughts and emotions accurately and to respond to them accurately. So, and that's what, how we define a good relationship. So relationships where one person acts selfishly without any view of the other person's feelings or perceptions, and then this person reacts selfishly are relationships that don't work. Mm -hmm. So if, if my only word of advice is if you want to get better at the social game, practice the ability to see things from other people's perspectives. That's the single thing that will help you in all aspects of life, and it really has a lot to do with that. Uh, how do you read other people's desires, their preferences? How do you understand how they are processing the world? Mm -hmm. How are they, if you were in their shoes, what would they want you to say? If you were in their shoes, what would they want you to do? Um, that's really what relationships are about, I think. And it's hard. It's very, it's very hard. It's hard for everyone, and, which is why a lot of marriages don't work out and a lot of people don't get married. I've always wanted to make uh, a board game that's called the Intimacy Board Game. Yes. And one of the rules is that when you're playing with another partner, no one can get more than two spaces away from the other person. You can't get two space, more than two that's spaces fantastic. ahead, or you can't be two spaces behind. That's because fantastic. That's, as you were saying, like if you're not, you know, if your way of sharing is this and there, you get more than two spaces exactly. behind, and then exactly. the whole thing falls apart and you've got to start over and that's, again. That's beautiful. And it's funny that you <clears throat> use the word intimacy because, mm -hmm. you know, when we study it, the way that they tell you to remember this is into me you see. Ah. And that is theory of mind. Into me you see. And wow. that's in, that's what allows that intimacy. intimacy. Yes. And that's exactly sort of, the, again, goes back to being able to see other people's yeah. perspectives. So focus on that. Don't focus on the overt thing because if you see their perspective, you'll know the things they like, the things they dislike, the things they are afraid of, the things they are, uh, they feel safe with, the things that attract them, yeah. you know, all of that. And it really is, it's a minefield. I, one of the things uh, I, I love, the stories I love to tell, there's a, there's a movie called The Story of Luke, mm -hmm. which is about a young man with Asperger's whose grandmother dies and he needs to go live with other people in the family and they have to kind of sort things Adjust out. Him, yeah. and, and we had Lou Taylor Pucci who plays Luke on the show. He was so delightful. And we had the director on the show. There's a moment in the movie where Seth Green plays another person who's on the spectrum who pulls Luke into an office space and he says, watch this. And they're looking through the blinds as a guy walks up to the water cooler and hits on another girl in the office. Right. And Seth Green That's awesome. Gives this, I have to watch it. You've got to watch it. Seth Green gives this detail. He's like, look, do you see the way she touches her hair and the way he looks down and she does this, that means this. And he goes through the whole thing and explains it all to Luke, who's like, how does anybody understand, understand this, right? That. Right, right. Well, Seth Green went on the Conan O'Brien show. Right. And they showed the clip, and Conan watched it, and he said, I needed this video when I was a teenager. That's I need right. this video now. That's right. Why has nobody ever explained this to me? I think every guy in this audience 
just had an aha moment. And I, and, I, and I remember watching that and going, it's true. Yes. Nobody knows what they're doing. And so when you talk about these things, right, that you just mentioned, what are we actually observing? We're observing cues yeah, that allow us to understand what is inside that person. It's yeah. being able to see things from that person's perspective. It's like, oh, if she did that, that means she just liked what I did. So maybe I should do more of that. Right. And you're right, Shannon, none of that exists. And we teach our kids, because we have them very young, we teach them how to read social cues that are appropriate to a young person. Yeah. We don't really get much into how to teach them to read social cues of this nature, and we should. Yes, we absolutely, absolutely should. I just made a note of it. Absolutely. Well, and I will say this, that we've had Evelyn Kung on the show before, and Evelyn has in her desk somewhere a bunch of cards that she has made for her older clients mm -hmm. that have lists of things to look for and know and what to do, and they're like decision trees. And I have threatened her that if she doesn't make it into a book or an app or something, I'm going to stop right. speaking to her. Right. <laughs> I've threatened her, Evelyn Kung. Because um, they're brilliant, and yes. everyone would want them, not just people on the spectrum. Things like, you know, if I broke up with somebody and they call me, what should I do? Yes. Wouldn't you want that app if you had teenagers? Honestly. Or if you were a teenager? Okay. Anyway, I've said enough. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a short break, and then we got a bunch of questions to get to, so stick with us. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampichet, and she is answering your questions in real time. One of the questions that we, uh, well, first of all, we have to say that somebody wrote in and said, thank you for getting it. Mm, that's uh, nice. ABA, diet, medical, legal, insurance, etc. Your show is so informative and brings so much courage. And then in a second, we'll talk about what her question was. But um, somebody wrote in and said, did you see Robert De Niro on the Today Show? He talked about vaccines and autism worth watching. And then there's a question mark. And I was just saying to Dr. Grandpache, if for those of you who missed it, Robert De Niro was on the Today Show last week. And then on Monday, they aired another, the Today Show aired another segment with Robert De Niro where they took Al Roker, Robert De Niro, and Janet, her last name is Jane. Jane, you're thought, right. Yes. Um, the, other, the other person who the was co -founder on the, the co-founder of Tribeca. Yes, exactly. Thank you. And I have some timers now. I can... <laughs> Pull up some names and not other names. But they took them into a separate room. It's recorded, so there is ostensibly some editing. And uh, Al Roker again asked some of the questions. Uh, and uh, Robert De Niro said, I have questions. I have questions. She then um, voiced some of her concerns about the film, that she felt that at certain points they were saying one thing and at another point they were saying another thing and she said there are inaccuracies in the film. Mm -hmm. He answered that and said there are inaccuracies in all documentaries. It's worth a discussion. Mm -hmm. She then said people should go and see the movie and see for themselves and judge for themselves. And, um, and they talked about the fact that had it, had it been shown at Tribeca, it was a 125-seat theater, it would have been shown once, and that by refusing it, it's gotten a lot more publicity. Um, but That's we, true. But we, um, we should say that um, tomorrow on the show, Nancy and I had an opportunity last week to do a, an extended interview. It's an hour, you guys, with Del Bigtree, who is the main producer of the film, and with Polly Tomey, who is in the movie and one of the lesser producers of the film. We should also say that you are featured in the film as an expert talking about prevalence. Mm -hmm. uh, about autism 
And uh, we do give a disclaimer tomorrow. There is a picture of my son mm -hmm. working with you mm -hmm. in the film. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, of course, we're talking about Vaxxed. I don't think I said that before. Vaxxed. I think anybody who doesn't know that that's what we're talking about, you've been on another planet because uh, that's certainly been a firestorm in our public. Do you want to, because uh, they wanted to know if you saw the Robert De Niro. I saw it? the first Robert De Niro interview and I was very proud, I guess, of Robert De Niro in the sense that, uh, you know, I think one of the main things about this whole vaccine controversy thing is that nobody wants, it, it's almost like we're not allowed to talk about it. And I feel like we're in a, America and we should have the, you know, we, we right now have the right to choose our own sexual preferences, gender, you name it. I mean, we can do anything now. It's like such an open, but we're not allowed to talk about this. And that kind of bothers me because I feel like everybody should have the right to have an opinion about this. You know, one of the things that is astonishing to me is that uh, whether or not this is an anti-vaccine or pro-vaccine or whatever film it is, the issue of, of vaccines and the fear that people are told, like, you know, hey, it's just, it's because of anti-vaccine type people that we had such an epidemic of measles in Disneyland. And the truth is about 600 people got measles. And that's not nowhere close to the number of people who potentially believe that they, their child got autism due to the MMR vaccine. And so, you know, when you have this many people who had measles, and yes, measles is a serious disease, but it's not in the same realm as autism, to be quite honest. Autism can be lifelong. And so, you know, and there's thousands and thousands of people who feel themselves that there's something more to this. Uh, and and we're, we don't give the disrespectful to, to not allow those people to voice their concerns yeah. and to say, hey, I really want this studied. And then to hear that uh, the CDC potentially has information or studies that they're not sharing with the public is extremely concerning because we, our entire world depends on what the CDC tells us. Um, so those are the factors. It's not about so much, I think, it's not anymore. I think this film, the statement that it makes that is so shocking, is more about sort of what is the information that is given to us and not given to us. And that's not just the CDC in general, it's a lot of stuff. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the Middle East that we would never know. I listen sometimes to Al Jazeera, and it's fascinating when you hear things that would never that are are relayed to the through the media here two days later in a completely different way. Absolutely. So we know that that we are influenced by that information, obviously, and that information is restricted. That's what concerns me. It concerns me too. And this is one of the things that we talked about last Thursday after the Robert De Niro interview. When did it become that we're not allowed to ask questions about anything? Right. Right. I just don't understand that. Right. And when did it become that if somebody does ask a question publicly that they're vilified? Right. And certainly that has been happening to Robert De Niro. And, um, I, you know, to me it doesn't matter where you may or may not stand on this. But, you should but, be allowed but it, to ask questions. Absolutely. But the other side of it, Shannon, is that it is sort of important where you, like, you know, let's say you truly believe. Let's say... This is the kind of stuff that's difficult. So let's say you have a relative whose child from one day to the next changed. Yes. And I actually say this on the film. I have seen children yes. 
who were, let's say, siblings of a child I was treating, um, and I've seen them change drastically within a week. Now, I've also seen parents who come in for intake and they'll bring with them a DVD or a video yeah. of their child, and they will show me uh, on the video, it says, the, the, pr the mother is saying, and I've seen more than, I'm talking 10, 20 times I've seen this, where the mother is saying something like, you know, and tomorrow we're going in for his MMR shots or something like that, yeah, you know, yeah. and so you know it's a timestamp, and you see the child interacting with other children, playing, pray for so on, and then the next video is like right after the MMR shot, and it's like the child is limp, uninvolved, completely yeah. different child, and you see that. Okay, yeah. now has there been a study to support this? No, there hasn't been sufficient, or if there has been, it's been hidden. That's what VAC says. Now, but what's important is this. Imagine if you're the cousin of this family, right? And you see this happening and you're convinced that this, there is a connection. But you live in a state where you are mandated to give that very same shot to your child. And if you don't, your child will miss out on school and all other possible things. That, to me, is not right because then your opinion doesn't matter. And those are the types of things that I feel really terrified about because I'll be honest, I grew up in the world of autism, right? I mean, I've been doing work with autism since I was, I don't know, 15, right? I mean, I've been, my whole life has been autism. And it was a pretty scary period of time going through the, the I'd say like, let's say late 90s, early 2000s when a lot of this information was coming out and it had not yet raised enough eyebrows to be blocked. And so for me, if I had not been given the choice of what vaccinations I want to give my children at what time, right. that would be very concerning to me. And of course, the thing about this video, this film, is that it doesn't say don't vaccinate. Exactly. It says split them up and do them slightly later. Right. That's all it says. Exactly. And so it's kind of interesting that even that is such a... And because that is being fought against, yes. it makes you wonder, like, wait a minute, why, why is that such a bad, why is that such a no-no? Is it just money then? Well, you know, that's what makes And you certainly the questions are raised there. For me, I'm a very logical person. And when we had the measles outbreak here in Southern California, and it was such an environment of fear yes. for months, it was such an environment of fear on all sides. One of the things that was so striking to me logically is that we had every night on the nightly news here locally, we had a doctor, a pediatrician who would come on and they would have a family and there would be a small child and they would say, you know, this is Roberto and Roberto has leukemia and Roberto's father would like to say something to you. And, and every night they would have something like this and Roberto's father would come forward and say it with tears and say, I can't vaccinate my child because his immune system is compromised because he has leukemia. So I'm begging you to please vaccinate your child. And I, you know, I mean, I felt that for him, but I always thought, okay, but wait a second. We've already identified that there are some children, his child, the doctor said, can't have this vaccine right. because of his immune system. So why, why are we all assuming then that we know which children can have it and which children can't? And why are people legislating, well, I already know that your child can if we know 
Nobody is denying that there are some children that immune system cannot handle it. How can we have a law that's one size fits all when clearly that's a that very is not good point. the case? That's exactly right. And if the child didn't have leukemia, we wouldn't know whether or not his immune system can handle right. it. And we but, know that some children's thing. immune and, systems can't handle it. And that's it. the point. And again, no one is saying don't vaccinate your children. Right. The point is, is it okay to vaccinate them after three? Yeah. Is it okay to split those vaccines up and do it after three? That is the question. The question is exactly. not should we vaccinate or not. No one ha is, is debating that question. And the additional question is if the, if the CDC isn't sure about that, why aren't they doing more studies? Exactly. And if they are, why aren't we hearing about it? Right. I mean, right. That, that's all it is. And it's a, I do think it's a good film. I think it's a strong film. Uh, I think people should probably go see it. I don't even know if you can see it right now. I know it was there are in lots LA all of last cities. week. There are lots of cities that you can go. They're in New York this week. Um, and we're going to be covering this extensively tomorrow with uh, Del Bigtree and Polly Tomey. You're going to get to see. It's an hour-long interview. And the one thing that, you know, we said gloves off. We're going to ask every question that there is. Um, but we, the one thing that we said was we're not going to edit at all. Right. Um, so that you will see it in its entirety. It, you know, they got the opportunity to say everything that they wanted to say. We got to ask every question that we wanted to ask. And um, I have to say another aspect of the movie that I thought was very important was, you know, I think, you know, and Shannon, I've done work with autism my whole life, right? And I, I, had, I brought one of my friends when I went to the, see the movie and my daughter, and I was, uh, both, all of us, all three of us were crying, you know, and I said to my friend, and she said, how are you crying? You just do this for a living. And I said, you know, it doesn't matter. It's like 35 years I'm doing this. I still get emotional when I hear these stories. And I think that it's, one thing the movie did extremely well was it's really brought across the perspective of the parent. And it was, just extremely touching, not just Polly's, but a, a bunch of other parents. Yeah. And it was really a, a very good view into the, the, the parents' experience with autism. Now, whether, it's, whether they feel it's vaccine-related or not, just the experience of hearing your child doing these things and so on was incredible. Yeah. And I do think it's important um, that one of the things that Dell has said in many interviews, and you'll see tomorrow, there's a, there's a moment when Polly says something and I, and I ask her a follow-up question on it, and it's a very emotional, gloves-off moment. Yeah. Uh, I thought Polly was going to come across the table and choke me, and I said, I have to ask this. You know, I mean, it's so, so don't think that it's, uh, it's all a happy, happy interview. There's, there's a couple of moments in it. Um, but I do think it's time that we stop questioning when there's so many parents who say this what happened and I have evidence of it and it, it maddens me sometimes when we see on the news that then they send in the pediatrician who says well upon reflection those parents you know once we talk to them they realize maybe there were symptoms before I you know I, I do think it's time that we we there is a system for reporting vaccine reactions. Yes. So why are we, when somebody says my child had a vaccine reaction, why are we like, oh, that couldn't have happened? Right. There's a whole right. system right. for reporting it, which right. means it exists. Right. So I don't know for them, and I think that no one can know for them. 
And you, you know, need to respect it. Absolutely. And one final comment. I mean, it's just certain things were brought to light for me, which I haven't thought about in a long, long time. Another thing that is brought to light for me is the actual details of what vaccines, aside from autism, let's put autism out for a second, the side effects of vaccines. Mm -hmm. And I think by right, we as parents should be told, the, you know, when you have surgery, someone sits with you and says, these are all the side effects, read this and sign it. We don't do that with vaccines. And the, side of, the possible side effects are pretty scary. The things like seizure activity and so on and so forth. And it's like, oh my God, Lord, you know? Yeah. There is a, there is a bill right now in California Assembly that is being sponsored by a lawmaker, an assemblyman in Orange County, a Republican lawmaker, that is saying since we have this law in the books that is requiring people to vaccinate in order to go to school, then this bill would uh, force them on their website to list all of the, um, the side, effects. side effects and uh, the vaccine reporting system, all the people who have reported and how to report if you have Amazing. a vaccine uh, reaction and all the money that has been paid out in uh, vaccine injury uh, court. Amazing. Um, so that's, it's a proposed bill. We'll see if it passes. We have invited that assemblyman to be on the show and have not heard back. So, uh, you know, I, I, I was like, oh, well, isn't that interesting that, and, and everybody's like, doesn't that already exist? And there isn't transparency at this point in the no. state of California. It is required. There is a law saying you have to do it, but there is no transparency at all in a visible place. You'd right. have to dig and look and whatever. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I know. I'm sorry. And we there are so many questions that I wanted to get to that are so, so good. Um, but these were important things that we were talking about. Um, and I, I, I do want to take just a second that, um, to thank you for everything that you do always. Thank you very much. Um, and for being there for the families and being available for the families. There, always there a pleasure. Several times lately where we've referred somebody um, specifically to you, and you always find a way to help and support. I even hope when so. it's hard, even I'm just thinking about the mom who was in the Philippines that I came to, and she's like, she's in the Philippines, she doesn't have the internet, she gets one hour to Facebook message a week. Uh, you know, and she wants to help her son, and you said, okay, what do we have in our arsenal? And you sent her a book. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can also print out things and send it to the Philippines. Yes. That's another thing. Uh, but it's like, you know, it's but so But you hard. sent her a book, and you always find a way. Um, we, we so greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thank you very you. much, Anne. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. 
With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life, including self-control, planning, and problem solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living. Wish. Learn. Become. Parent to parent, you might be asking yourself sometimes, why does my child have meltdowns? Well, the difference between tantrums and meltdowns, tantrums, they're a part of typical development, but meltdowns are when things get a little bit more out of control, when even the child isn't sure what's entirely wrong. Generally with a meltdown, there's an environmental component. There's something else going on outside the child that's making the tantrum worse. It's really important that we start to be detectives and take notes and look around at the environment and start to figure out what are the things that happen every time your child has a meltdown. And lastly, it's important to get help. You really can't face these kinds of things effectively completely on your own. Tantrums, they're a part of typical development, but don't accept meltdowns as something that just happens. Make sure you get help and support. You might be asking yourself if your child has autism. Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspot Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod and thrilled to be here with my thrilled good friend. Thrilled to be friend. here. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be with you guys live for the next two hours. We've got all, two hours. We were just, hour. We were just there for an hour. Now we're going to be here for an hour. And we've got a lot of amazing stuff, great guests and stuff to talk about. Two great guests. Yes. Um, thrilled about all of that. And um, we should just say who we have and I don't remember which order I think I think have... we have Chris Hall first okay so Chris Hall may, he calls himself an autistic entrepreneur mm -hmm. how much do we love that uh, and his business is uh, computers for the autistic foundation right uh, can't wait to hear about that and how he got started in that and then we got an amazing guest that I've wanted to have on the show for a long time Mary dr. Mary Barbara she is a mom but she's also a VCBA. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think about becoming a VCBA? Did anyone no. ever try to talk you into being? No. I certainly had people you could say be to one. me, you know enough. I could not be a VCBA. But people talk to me and, and still they're like, you know, you should become a VCBA. And I was encouraged when Jem, they would say, you know, some moms take their knowledge and they become mm -hmm. a VCBA. And I was like, 
well, those women are better than I. Yeah. <laughs> just like put a period at the end of that sentence. I was like, no right, way. Right, right. Uh, so I'm always in awe of women that can do that. She has an amazing book that's um, The Verbal Behavior Approach, How to Teach Children with Autism and Related Disorders, and um, uh, amazing book that sold over 50,000 copies. And so I'm excited that we're going to have okay. her on the show right. uh, at long last. And then we've got news to cover as well, so we a little do. bit of news. So um, shall we start with, this is, uh, I've heard a little bit about this, um, but it's, uh, I, I must say, I'm, I'm amazed that we're still talking about this, but um, we've got an interesting report that says that some children who dramatically lose a range of abilities after the age of two, may have a condition called Childhood Disintegrative Disorder, CDD, according to a meta-analysis of 20 different studies. Right. This, the CDD generally has all the features of autism, as well as some that are unique. Children with autism also regress, but they typically do so between one and two years of age. Those with CDD show a rapid loss of skills between ages two and seven. And, but so this is so interesting to me because, you know, I talk on a regular basis. I was places in Sacramento doing talks, and I tell about, you know, Jem's story. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and I read up all the time about true regressive autism. Right. Because, and I always say in my talk, you know, I, when I was a young mom, I certainly knew about autism. But what I knew was that some kids just didn't progress. We heard right. about those kids with autism, right. and that was not my child. So I That was worry not about my that. child either. My right. child regressed. And then I knew that there were some kids that regressed. We all saw the videos on YouTube uh, and on the internet earlier before there was YouTube of kids that were, you know, running around mm -hmm. talking, doing whatever mm -hmm. one day, and the next day they were in their high chair and it was lights on, nobody home. Right. And that kept me up at night. I was worried about that, but it wasn't my kid. That wasn't what we saw. My son had true regressive autism where um, he lost a little skill every day. That was the same with Wyatt. Right. And, and they say that well over 50% of the individuals that are diagnosed with autism now, that that's the kind of autism mm -hmm. that they have. And I think that it's a particularly insidious, I mean, look, they're, none of them are good, right? But one of the things that happens with our form of autism is that moms are told they're crazy. Right. And that we have fallout for a considerable portion of our life of that because we go, something's going on, mm -hmm. and, and people go, no, it's not, and we... I, at least me, I th and I think a lot of other parents, I was like, oh, okay, because I wanted to believe that nothing was right. happening. And because people saw our children progress at a certain point yes. and thought, well, they can't be regressing now. But you were told, you went in and said, isn't something going on? And mm. everybody was like, no. Boys are late talkers. Yes. Uh, all that, that was one of the yes, things. Yeah. that we get yeah. told of, you know, I was told, well, you're just a late-in-life mother who worries about everything. Right, I was well, told yes, that, too. that's true, but my kid did lose language mm -hmm. also. Right. <laughs> I get right. up My child it. was putting his head through the kitchen window, and my pediatrician said, well, that's frustration from his lack of ability to talk, which is coming from being a late bloomer. And see, I want to go back and slap these doctors. I know. Is it just me? Or no. get them with a pointed shoe. No. Let's say that. Um, but so now... 
And, I, and look, I'm of two minds about this because we've we've known about this diagnosis in the the DSM five, the um, childhood disintegrative disorder, for a while, and I wondered when it was going to rear its head because we like to move the pieces on the chessboard all right. the time. Now, I have said for the longest time that I wish we would come up with a new name for the different types of autism. Right. Um, I do. So, so I don't. I don't disagree with now. We're going to call this some some other thing. But my problem is, is that if you're an insurance company and you just have gotten legislation passed saying that you have to cover autism, is this the way they're going to right. try to skinny out of it, Nancy? Right. Well, it has more. It, it has unique features that are different from just straight on autism, including more severe symptoms and a different symptom profile. Um, from autism, that um, it's accompanied by acute anxiety, aggression, hyperactivity, and often by features reminiscent of psychosis, such as muttering or gesturing through the air. But is it me? Like, I'm sure that in the past, these things have been lumped together all mm -hmm. together with autism. I don't care if we separate it out. I think that's better if we phenotype it. But are they now going to say that this particular thing uh, well, we don't know if it works with ABA. ABA I don't so know what they're going to say. It. This makes me it doesn't nervous. say that in the article. It doesn't, but it makes me nervous because I always wonder what's driving this. Right. Uh, but let's all be aware of it. Um, there are aspects of this that I could say that, you know, Jem's regression started before the age of two, which mm -hmm. is the only reason why he doesn't fit this profile. Right? And Why so, and it started around between one and a half and two. Yeah, Jen's did And he, he fits this profile in terms of symptoms. But I think uh, most of our kids that have regressive autism would is my mm -hmm. point. And mm -hmm. so I'm just mindful of I don't, want our, I don't want this to be an excuse to not give them the therapy that right. helps and works and whatever. Right. Let's, let's be vigilant, as they say. Okay. okay, the second story is about a new play. Uh, a use of a puppet in a play that there's been a whole controversy because they say that the puppet used to portray the autistic boy dehumanizes those with the condition. So the play is all in a row. It stars former EastEnders actress uh, Charlie Brooks that's as a mother. That's London, I assume. Yes. There's, that, the, there's a show that's called EastEnders. Right. Um, it's, it was pretty hilarious. And she plays the mother of a severely autistic son. It's set to open later this month at Southwark Playhouse. Uh, it's written by Alex Oates. Um, and he, uh, Alex is somebody who had worked uh, part-time as a caregiver. The puppet portrays the character of Lawrence, who's described as autistic, nonverbal, and occasionally violent. Um, okay, so this is an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always interesting to do perspective-taking and... Um, so you have a, this play that has actors that are human and the person who is on the autism spectrum is being played by a puppet. Who is, who is the puppet is also played by, the puppet is somebody who is not autistic. The, the puppet, is the, as I understand it, is a character that is... That is autistic, that is autistic severely but autistic, the but the person the puppet, working the puppet is not autistic. It's not autistic. That's what I meant and to so, clarify. Um, and... And I believe in talking to my friends that are self-advocates that it would, it would be, and I don't want to put words in people's mouths, but I was just talking to Alex Blank the other day, and he said, I just don't understand why there would ever be a reason 
to have anyone uh, else but an autistic actor play a person with, with autism, autism yeah. in, in this day and this age. I don't know that I agree with that. Right. I don't know that I do it either. Uh, and, um, and I said to him, because if you say that, then the reverse is true. That if you can only play things, if the only people who can play things are people who already possess those things, right. then what's acting, right. first of all? Right. And second of all, then are you saying that a person who is on the autism spectrum can't, can't play, play a non-autistic who's, who's typical? Um, right. And I think that we don't want to put that out in the world. So it's a rough thing. And then when you think about, because, you know, I, I am a playwright. I've now written two plays that have been uh, produced. And... Um, I like to tell stories, and, mm -hmm. you, and, as a, uh, and I'm a director, and you think of how do I tell this story? How do you tell the story of a child who is nonverbal, has autism, and is sometimes violent? Because you can't cast a child in that role. Mm -hmm. So would you cast, and you can't even cast a neurotypical child in that role, um, I mean, you could if it's filmed, but not on stage. Right, right. Um, that's too much to ask of a mm -hmm. child actor, I mm -hmm. feel. Um, and so what do you do? Do you cast an adult? And do you cast an adult with autism to play a child? Isn't that? I mean, it is an interesting question. But a lot of these um, autism advocates have said that it literally dehumanizes the identity you taught to represent. You sought to represent. And I can see that point of view. But my question to them is, how do you tell this story then? Right. On stage. Do we say that we just don't ever tell stories of children on stage and they're always off stage? How do you tell the story? Because that also isn't good for the autism community. So I have more questions than mm -hmm. answers, um, but find it fascinating. I don't disagree with them. That they that did consult those with autism and parents of children with autism while what developing the say? play. It didn't say what they said, but they just wanted to let us know that they consulted them. Interesting. Um, very, very interesting. And then our last story, um, it's one that I've been wanting to cover for a while, that there is a new organization, it's a new nonprofit that's called the National Council on Severe Autism. And it just is brand new in this month. And... A lot of people last week were really, we didn't have time for in the news last week or I would have covered this. Um, but it's interesting, wait a week and there's a bunch of people who are unhappy about it too, right? Because <laughs> you're never gonna please everybody. Um, but a lot of people last week were just applauding that finally there's an organization to deal with because when it's severe autism, those families don't get the coverage of what their plight is like the the rest of us mm -hmm, do mm -hmm. and i'm talking about the severest of the severe cases right and, and, and it's a, struck a chord obviously it says some 1500 people have signed up for the newsletter yeah. dozens of caregivers have sent emails seeking help and more than 2000 people follow the group's facebook page and it features posts about the need for supporting housing and hospital care the dearth of clinical research on severe autism and the personal accounts of raising severely autistic children yeah but um it, there's some controversy now surrounding it, and not surprisingly, um, some of it is coming from the Thinking Person's Guide to Autism. We've had Shannon uh, DeRoche-Rosa on the show before, um, and I enjoy hearing her opinion always, 
um, is not often the same as my opinion, mm -hmm. but you know, that's the world, mm -hmm. folks. That is the world. But um, she is saying that um, the people who are doing the board are parents and guardians. And she is saying that these are not the people who should be in charge of this conversation. That it should be the actual autistic people themselves. But we're talking about the people who are the severest of right. the severe. Right, so how can they? And my question is, like, so are we saying that people who are not the severest of the severe should be running this organization? Because I don't think that that's right either. I think that um, perfect example and I'm going to call Alex Plank into play again. Okay. Alex was on a show probably two, three years ago. He was co-hosting with me, and we had um, a fabulous mom who mm -hmm. was on doing an interview via Skype, and she was talking about her new book. Uh, it was Liz Becker, and she was talking about her new book, um, The World According to Matt, which mm -hmm. were blogs that she had written about her son, Matt. And she was talking about how exciting it was because Matt had just been able to move to his own apartment uh -huh. and this is something that it took her 20 years to work on matt is nonverbal and needs daily support but he wanted to live on his own mm -hmm. and so she helped him it took her 20 years to teach him the skills and he's in a facility where he can pull a string and somebody can okay. come and help him but 20 years that she had put in and, and alex said to her alex who is on the spectrum but right on an entirely different yeah, part of the spectrum than where Matt is, right? right? Very. And and Alex was uh, just coming off of being a consultant on the bridge. Mm -hmm. He's very capable. Alex is more capable than I am. Right, right. Let's just I say that, right? And and so at one point, Alex said to her, and he said, "So where does he work?" Because that's a question from Alex's world, right? And she said, "Honey, he doesn't work. He can't work." And he said, "What are you talking about?" And, and, she, and she said, it took us 20 years to get him to be able to be in his own apartment. Like, we could have devoted those 20 years to getting him up to speed on a job skill mm -hmm. where he could have done some, you know... Menial, probably. Paper sorting easy. kind of a thing. Yeah. But we didn't. We chose to spend 20 years on the life skills for him to live on his own. And, and Alex was like, but, but... And I understood Alex's point of view. Um, but none of us can completely understand where Liz was coming from because mm -hmm. we haven't walked in those shoes. Right. Even, and most especially, Alex. Mm -hmm. So putting you know, high-functioning adults who are capable of running a business in, uh, and, and a nonprofit, you can speak to how much it takes to run a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know in the ideal world that it would be people who are on the autism spectrum, but if they're not capable... Then what? What's well? We don't do the nonprofit. Right. We tried that right. for how many years? Um, so that's where I am on this. Where are you on this? I'm. I feel the same way. I mean, we can't criticize that they don't have enough of those on the autism spectrum that have severe autism involved if they're not capable of being involved in it. Well, I, and I think capable of being involved, and I hope that they do involve. But running, running a nonprofit, it, right? I, you know, for some people, running a nonprofit. For me, running a nonprofit would be way too stressful. That's it is that, very that stressful. Is, I can tell you that. Right, that is not necessarily a kind thing to fob onto somebody and say, mm -hmm. "And now you have to do this." Playing a role on it, being asked your opinion on it, different. Right, different. But Agreed. running it, 
Um, I don't know how you do it. But, but appreciate the fact that I am very much about the phrase, nothing about us, without us. And every year, my understanding of that changes and morphs, and I understand a little bit more. Because as a parent, when I had a child who was nonverbal, I believed that I was his proxy. Mm -hmm. So I believed that my voice for him was a strong, and boy, that's a controversial thing. And Shannon and I don't agree on that, right? Right. Um, and there's many other people that we don't agree on because and that say that's offensive. But I felt that way as a parent. Right. That he got a voice. And if he didn't have one, I was going to be there for his mm -hmm. voice as his proxy. Mm -hmm. um, I am no longer his proxy. I have a different role now. And my role is... I feel like I'm still Wyatt's proxy to a degree. And I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And I would not disagree with you on that. Mm -hmm. But I understand that my role now is often to support and then sometimes to sit down and shut up. Right. But I would never say that to a parent who is still the proxy. Well, they're saying there's no single solution for a population this diverse. So Of course not. That's of a, course That's not. probably what we can take away from that's it. That's what we can take away from it. Okay, but anyway, so should we take a break and then come should. back with our first guest? Yes, we should. Chris Hall is going to be joining us. So stick around, you guys. We'll be right back. Okay. Hi, I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're at the ABCs and XYZs of Special Needs Conference. And this year, for the first time, they've got something really remarkable. It's the Entrepreneurial Boutique. These are all items that have been made and are being sold by individuals who have special needs. So we're going to do a little shopping and talk to some of these fabulous entrepreneurs. Come on. My name is Molly Rarick and I'm founder of Breed's Gift. We're a nonprofit that serves teens and adults with special needs like Chase here. Uh, we were founded in 2013 and serve people in the Conejo Valley, Santa Barbara, and LA. Our main objective is to give our participants the skills they need to gain a more independent life. My name is Shelly Cox and um, Lisa Zalagi and I are founders of Creative Steps and Create Micro Business Enterprises. And the, the items that we're selling here today are all made by the clients who have uh, passions about what they want to make and then they get the profits from what they make after we've paid all of the other expenses. We are here today because um, I, my goal is to be independent and also I would like to share all my artwork and I would like to sell. Thinking about at his young age being a businessman, you know, it's, it's amazing. I cannot be more proud. Ackerman, welcome back to Talk of Facts. Um, I, we hear questions all the time and we want to give you the answers that help make your journey in autism easier and more navigatable. Less than a year ago we interviewed the top 100 doctors in the United States working with children on the spectrum and we asked them a question in the cloak of secrecy. What are the top three mistakes parents living with autism do? Number one, 
and my, the one that makes me laugh the most is when they use their physician as a marriage and family therapist. <laughs> one, the doctors told me it made them uncomfortable, and two, they were highly unqualified to provide that type of advice. So the night before your physician appointment with your MAPS doctor, get together with your spouse, significant other, and write out the list of the targets and the agenda that you want to cover at the physician's appointment. Get in sync then you'll be definitely spending less time and not making that doctor so uncomfortable. Second thing that was the most common mistakes parents living with autism make is they want to go too fast. And really, you want to pace yourself in the autism journey. We all know that we want to get our kid to be the best they can be and hopefully recover from autism. And what a lot of the doctors have told me is that you want to really pace yourself, one, to let the labs be your guide and to work with your physician on the prioritization and the, the delivery of the different medical interventions. The third most common mistake they felt families made was giving up too soon. And what you need to know is they're invested, um, they're looking at wanting to get the best from your child. But I tell you that when I got that and consolidated the 100 interviews with these physicians, most of the doctors who brought that up had tears in their eyes. Um, they want you to know that they're in the fight with you and they want you to know that hope is really real. It may take hard work and it may take time, but to not give up and to stay in the game. So let TACA help you. We'll have some more TACA facts for you in the future, real questions and real answers for the autism journey. And we're back and right now we're joined via Skype by Chris Hall. Chris is a 25-year-old autistic entrepreneur, as he calls himself, who one day decided to form an organization known as Computers for the Autistic Foundation, and that was when he wasn't doing his work-from-home PC repair, um, which now helps educate and helps others through donating the power of a computer to benefit them as become young adults at no cost to them. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hello, everybody. What's going on? My name is Chris. I am an autistic entrepreneur who does an organization known as Computers for the Autistic Foundation. How did you start that, Chris? Um, how I started it was I was fixing computers for people just out of random. And I realized at the time that I wasn't making enough to do anything at all. So I decided one day that I would decide to help kids who were autistic to be able to build computers to donate for education purposes and for social skill purposes and stuff like that. So it's very cool, and I understand that your business is uh, it's important to you to be eco friendly. Talk to us a little bit about that. So I'm one of the only organizations that uses what's called a velomobile, which is called a bike car as a mode of transportation over the known automobile and everything else like that. Um, we also use trikes as a mode of transportation. Um, we have done probably over 5,000 miles in the last three or four years alone, transporting computers to children all across the Gulf Shore of Boston and Massachusetts. And how many miles an hour can you go on that thing? It's cool. Um, with the Elf, I can go up to 30 miles an hour. 
Um, with a normal trike, about 20 miles an hour. It depends on where I am in the Boston area that I can go through. So, But Boston gets some serious snow. Doesn't that slow you down a little bit? Aren't you freezing? No, not really, because a lot of the time it's just a workout for me. So I, I'm usually sweating like crazy <laughs> when it comes to riding a bike overall. That And then when it's snowing out or anything else like that, if it's really snowing really bad, we do not operate. So, Wow. Tell us what autism means to you and to those you help. Autism to me means, you know, you are unique. Autism means, you know, don't let anybody get in the way of your happiness being who you are. You know, look up every day to know that you are who you are. Don't let anybody bring you down. That's amazing. Okay. And, and, you know, you started this business and you've been promoting this business. How do you make your business stand out in a sea of companies uh, to, to be able to get the attention you need to be able to help the folks you're helping? Well, we mostly do our stuff on Facebook. We do a lot of our stuff just in the community ourselves. Um, we work with other organizations such as um, Access, Autism Sprinter, everybody else who works in the autistic community. We work alongside them as well. Um, we also do disability advocacy as well for kids who need it. So, you know, we are really looking at the opportunities to help kids in need to be able to help them along the way. Um, we also work with many um, other companies as well. So um, we're pretty much out there. You know, we don't get a lot of donations outward, but we do get our word out to other people. So how can people support you then? Well, um, in the state of Massachusetts, we do accept donations of old computers that can help children in need. We also have uh, fundraisers as well to keep um, us up and going. Um, we have two GoFundMes. We have one for computer parts and, you know, just stuff that we need to fix computers. And then we have one for the trikes that helps us rebuild them, keep them on the road, that kind of thing. So. And do you take all computers? You just take PCs or you take Macs? How do we and how do we donate a computer? Um, how you donate a computer is we work with a few of our local shops in our area, and they are our official drop-off locations. Um, we take any computer that has a dual, like a dual-core computer like processor in it. Um, we don't take anything that's older than 2006 just because of what we install on it. Um, we um, take a Chromium OS, like a Chromebook, and we install that for computers that are donated. Okay, because that was going to be my next question. I, I've got a couple of old computers, but I think they're too old. And yeah, at I a think certain mine are point, too old, too. At a certain point, you can't do anything. Right. Now, for all, those of us who are computer illiterate, Chris, how would we know if we have a dual-core processor? Would it say it somewhere in the computer? Yes, it would say it. Usually, a lot of computers have stickers on them that would say, like, Intel Core 2 Duo, um, AMD. Um, you know, all that stuff works out, too. Um, we also take old tablets, you know, they have the factory reset, but 
we do take tablets to help kids with their assistive technology tools. So. And how many kids would you say you've helped through this program? Um, in the past seven years or so, I think I've helped 30. Okay, great. But it's life-changing yes, when somebody it is. gives you a computer. I, thought, I bet you've got some amazing stories of what these young people were able to do with these donated computers. Well, we're not just helping um, children, too. Um, I'm actually starting to help people who are on elderly homes and group homes as well because we work with, um, again, I work with disability advocacy people, and a lot of them end up living in elderly homes, uh, housing sections, and all that stuff, too. So, um, you know, I'm trying a trial where we donate one computer for everybody to use and if nothing goes wrong with the computer and within a long period of time um, I'm going to consider helping those who struggle to have internet access where they live. So. And you also when you, in, your, in your spare time you have a model train club is that correct? Yep, that's right. Um, I'm a part of going to be a part of uh, the Bay State Model Railroad Museum in Rosendale, Mass. So that's cool. Great. So if people want to donate a computer, how do they do it? Again, um, we work with our local computer shops for donations. Um, I'm not super sure about how the process would go if somebody lived far away. It's just um, the costs for shipping computers can be very expensive, especially in bulk. Okay. Uh, you know, the difficult part is the um, hazmat fees for batteries. Um, they can get very expensive because if something was to happen during shipments. Okay. So we're 100% sure that's why donations, when we do donations, they're local. So, you know, we want to donate out to out of state, but it's just kind of difficult at this oh. time. And how does one sign up for a donated PC? So how you would get a donated computer, if you live within our mile range, you'd go visit our website and download our um, sign-up form that we have, and you fill it out, and you mail it in to us by the Postal Service with a copy of your child's IEP or their doctor's diagnosis for proof. And what is your website, Chris? Um, it's kind of odd to say, you know, I usually don't just, like, say it. Um, I usually just type it out. But it's um, the pcpitstop001.wix.com forward slash CFTAF. That's okay. a mouthful. It is a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's why I just redirect everybody over to our Facebook page. Okay. So Facebook page. have Instagram, too. So, and what's the uh, Facebook page? Yeah, what's uh, your Facebook page? Yeah, the Facebook page is Computers for the Autistic Foundation. Okay, okay good. Okay, That's easier. Sense. All right, Thank well, you're you doing so great much. work. We yes. appreciate you coming on the show today to talk about it. Oh, no problem. I appreciate your time, too. And I really hope that people will consider visiting us and helping us with our cause. So okay. I really appreciate it. Great cause. Thank right, you thank so you, much, Chris. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so yeah, I love so, the yeah. entrepreneurial spirit. Yes. And, entrepreneurial and when spirit. they see a problem, uh, find a solution. Mm -hmm. What a great, great thing! So we're going to take listen. a break, and when we come back, we're going to be with Dr. Mary Barbera. And thrilled uh, to have her on the show. So yeah. stick with us.
parent to parent, you might be asking yourself, why does my child stim? Well, first of all, let's talk about what stimming is. Stimming is a slang term for self-stimulatory behavior, which is kind of a mis misnomer anyway, because a lot of the times when our children engage in these kinds of behaviors, they're not to stimulate themselves. Sometimes they're to soothe themselves. So first of all, we want to get rid of the notion that it's to stimulate themselves. But they do do these behaviors because there's something about it that feels good. And that's the main thing that we need to know as parents. It's not some random behavior. There's something about it that's giving the child a paycheck. And once we get an idea of what that might be, we need to find a behavior that can take that behavior's place and start to reinforce that. We want to pick something that's more socially acceptable. So if, for instance, the child is doing a lot of hand flapping because they like seeing their blurred fingers, then we can find something else for them to focus on, maybe a toy that does blurred colors. So for a period of time, they'll focus on that. The main thing to remember, though, is that there is a reason for these behaviors. There's something about it that feels good to the child. And once we know that, we can begin to change it. There's a phrase that's being used in the autism community called stimming. Say hi, we say hi. Let's get wild, let's get wild, let's get, let's get, 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 let's get wild. Hi, welcome back to Autism Live. I'm Lisa Ackerman. Uh, we're here doing allergy-free cooking, and I brought my sister with me today, Jamie Davis. Thanks and for having me. A lot of people are asking about a allergy-free breakfast, and. Breakfast can be full of crap. You know, it, breakfast, but it's full of cereal. crap and it's hard to do. We yeah. don't have time in the morning. We're in a hurry. We're going completely nut free. The recipe is not personality. Free. We can't do yeah, anything can't about. Yeah, can't do anything about that. So we're going to start off first with um, I'm using sorghum and brown rice flour. It, I find the texture good, and I've added some flaxseed meal. We talked about that last time. Flaxseed meal for poop. Almost every one of our kids has a poop issue. What's next on the recipe is the quinoa flakes, baking powder, cinnamon and the xanthan gum. It brings the glutinous texture back into the flour. And often what happens with these recipes is they can fall apart. This one holds up nicely. I like it. For the folks that are egg free, we have a ton of egg replacers. One of those can be the arrowroot starch or bringing back some additional flax seeds. So there's a lot of options to go eggless, but we're gonna go egg full in this one. For sweetener, I use the maple syrup. I stay away from refined sugar. What I'm adding now is the coconut um, milk, maple syrup, and a little bit of the coconut oil. And we're gonna add in the raisins, craisins, and chocolate chips at the end. I find that chocolate chips can coax people to eat some really amazing things. When we started, Jeff had 42 food allergies, so we had to get creative in how we cooked. So nuts were a big, big issue. What I like now is that he can tolerate so many more things after start doing this diet. So let me show you how you can deal with this um, sticky stuff here. You get your fingers really wet and you can push it down. So my oven has been preheated. It's at um, 350 degrees. So we're gonna just throw this in. Like I said, I like it around 23 minutes. And the magic oven says, I'm done. Looks like. Don't you love magic ovens? They're awesome. There we go, pops right out. The texture of these, and it's so pretty, it looks almost like a big chocolate chip cookie, but you actually made it healthy. But you can be wow. my guinea pig. 
tell me what you think. It looks really good. Doesn't it? So the textures and the colors in there are just beautiful. So the raisins are for you, the chocolate chips are for your kid. I can't believe it's gluten free. I know, right? It doesn't taste like, you know, crap. crap. <laughs> <laughs> We're wrapping up another cooking show. If you have feedback, you can email us at autismlive at gmail.com. We're, of course, on Facebook. You could go to facebook.com slash autismlive. And, of course, Taka Now has thousands of recipes. Join me there, and we can um, cook some more later on. So thanks for joining us. You say hi, we say hi. Let's get right, let's get right, let's get and we're back. And now, as promised, we have Dr. Mary Barbera with us. Um, Mary fell into the autism world in the late 1990s when her first son, Lucas, was diagnosed with autism one day before his third birthday. Now, Mary has been transformed over the last two decades from an overwhelmed and confused parent, in her own words, to a board-certified behavior analyst and best-selling author. Her book, The Verbal Behavior Approach, How to Teach Children with Autism and Related Disorders, has sold more than 50,000 copies, and she also fell into the world of online marketing, uh, launching her first online course in early 2015, and since then she has created three online courses and a monthly membership program. She's on a mission to turn autism around for $2 million by 2020, and so welcome to the show, Mary. Quite a list of accomplishments. Thank you for having me. Um, it's really great to meet you, Shannon and Nancy. Uh, happy to be here. It's our pleasure. Uh, we're thrilled to have you. You've got a new podcast that just started last month. Tell us a little bit about Turn Autism Around. Yeah, so I've been in the online space for a few years, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, uh, mostly about online marketing, but there's a few uh, behavior analyst podcasts that I listen to, and um I just decided in December, you know what, I'm on a big mission to turn autism around for $2 million by 2020, and I have to reach more people. So I decided that I was going to um, start a podcast. It's mostly for parents and professionals. They don't have to be behavioral professionals or, or even educational professionals. I'm also a registered nurse. I'm married to a physician, so I have uh, interest in training medical professionals, educational professionals, social workers, whoever wants to learn about autism, I am uh, I'm providing this podcast weekly. It comes out every Tuesday, and you can subscribe on iTunes. It's called Turn Autism Around. So far, the feedback has been great, um, you know, five-star reviews and, and lots of people um, helping me spread the word. And what do you mean by turn autism around and two million by 2020. Right. So even the name turn autism around, I know there's a lot of people that, you know, for my son, I have a son who's 22. His name is Lucas and he has, he continues with moderate to severe autism. He re remains pretty impaired. He needs supervision. And, and so for him turning autism around um, means that I'm continuing to provide him safe environments, people that understand his needs, programs that help him increase his communication so he can be happier. So for Lucas and for older kids with pretty um, significant delays, 
you know, turning autism around looks different than a very young child with new diagnosis of autism. I've, I've treated, uh, worked with many young children who started out as looking really impaired and with proper intensive behavioral treatment, they've gone on and to be included in general education environments. Um, a few of them have lost their diagnosis or a few of them that I know are going to college or learning to drive. So turning autism around really just means making things better, having each child reach his or her fullest potential, be as safe, as independent, and as happy as possible. And that's what I mean about turning autism around. So it doesn't have to be a complete turnaround. And in most cases, it's not a complete turnaround, but it's just making everyone's lives better. And it's not just focusing on the kids and their deficits and programming. It's also focusing, I want the podcast to be um, helping parents and professionals also feel good, feel happy, um, lead happier lives, be less stressed. And so some of the episodes are going to be on self-care and how do we make sure that we don't get depressed. If we get depressed, how do we, how do we have realistic but hopeful um, goals for our kids, for ourselves? And, and so that is also a big focus that I want to take with this podcast. And tell us a little bit about the format of the show. Right. So each week um, we do one episode. And so the first episode, episode number one, is my journey. And also as a parent first, then how I got into being a behavior analyst. Then I became an author. Then I became an online marketer. Um, so my journey and 15 lessons that I've learned over the past two decades. So that's episode number one. I would start there for sure because, um, you know, a lot of what I say and even how I interview people is all based on my unique background with all of these different hats that I wear in the autism world. And then other episodes um, include some interviews. Um, my first interview was episode number three, where I interview Kelsey, who's a single mom of two boys on the spectrum. She found my online course a couple of years ago and really turned autism around for her older son, who was only two and a half when she found my course. But he, he was banging his head up to 100 times a day. She had to take him out on a leash and a harness. And now, um, over the past two years, first through just my online courses, and then she was able to get providers in there to help her, um, she's able to turn his, his world around and turn her own life around. And then her younger son was diagnosed, and so she knew right away how to, how to teach him language, how to advocate for him. So while Kelsey and her boys are still, you know, in deeply in the autism world, she's managed to turn her life around. I also have some interviews with some professionals like Dr. Megan Miller is on next week's um, podcast episode. I'm interviewing Amanda Kelly, who is Behavior Babe. I, I don't know say. if you have heard of her. Yes, she's been on um, the show. Oh, yeah. she's been a guest? Yeah. Okay, great. So she's a friend of mine, so I interviewed her for an upcoming episode. So I am going to have a mixture of solo shows, 
Um, I just recorded a show, um, a podcast episode on keeping kids with autism safe, uh, which is a huge, huge issue. Um, so it'll be a variety of topics and uh, a, a mixture between solo shows and interviews. Wonderful. You have such a unique perspective. Mm -hmm. Definitely, coming as a parent and as a BCBA. Tell us how they can find the podcast. So my website has all my information about my free resources, weekly video blogs, my podcast. So marybarbera.com is where you can find all the information about my free uh, resources as well as my paid courses. and you can also search uh, your podcast app on iTunes for Turn Autism Around. I would love it if you subscribe to the podcast. That helps with the algorithm. I'm learning all this stuff about doing podcasts. But if you if you like what you hear, give me a five-star rating and review. That also helps to um, have iTunes really feature it, recommend it. I've also been doing weekly video blogs which is on my website as well as on my YouTube channel. And um, I've been doing that for two years. So whenever you have a topic, like if you are on this listening or watching and you think, well, I wonder what Mary has to say about stimming or scripting. Just Google Mary Barbera stimming, Mary Barbera sleep, Mary Barbera whatever. Chances are good that I've done a video on it and you can get to it right away. Um, And you can hear that little snippet and hearing that little snippet of something you're struggling with um, might really help you take action and start to see how you can begin to make strides in turning things around for you and your family or your clients. Right. Very good. Dr. Barbera, since we have you, I'd love to get your perspective um, as a mom. Um, And you were talking about how you, you have people that you have helped and and that they've gotten there early and they've gotten everything that they needed and they've progressed, sometimes to the point where they lose their diagnoses. And yet that was not the story for you. And so often I I see that one of the many tears in the fabric of the autism community is this, you know, the tale of two cities that people arrive in with autism. And and you see that intimately on on a daily basis. Maybe if you could share some of your wisdom about how is that for you as a mom and as a practitioner and what do you see and what helps you? Um, I think when parents have very young children with just showing signs of autism, I, I think it's really important to offer them hope that it, it, that recovery is possible. Now, some of the, the older studies, like the original Lovas study, show 47%. Um, some of the more recent studies show 4% of kids actually recover from autism. I also know kids that, you know, are largely recovered, but they still have some issues. So it's it's not black and white recovery, not recovery. And the other thing I learned over the years is if you are proactively treating children um, with behavioral therapy as well as other therapies that might work, um, you you may not end up with a child that is independent or recovered, like my son Lucas, who still requires a lot. But 
it's never a waste of time to teach kids to get to the next level, whatever that next level is. Like I had one of, one of the parents who's taken my online course, she said, you know, she wrote in, she had a couple of kids on the spectrum, a young son who was making all kind of gains, but then she had a, an 11 or 12 year old and she wrote in, she's like, my 11 year old just had his first bowel movement on the toilet in 11 years, you know, like to him, that is a major milestone. And so we have to celebrate whatever the, the next step is. We have mm-hmm. to, we have to strive. We just can't go like, Oh, they're low functioning. We just push them aside. You know, they're a child or a young adult or whatever. They have their strengths and their needs. They're not high functioning or low functioning. I did a podcast episode all about high functioning and low functioning and how I used to think of it as a black and white issue. It's, it's very gray. And with, and even with my typically developing son who's in college, he's third year of college. His name is Spencer. You know, I want the same things for Spencer that I do for Lucas. I want both of my boys, every child that I know with and without autism to be as safe as possible, as independent as possible and as happy as possible. And so I think when people, sometimes when people hear behavioral therapy or ABA, they get like, oh, I don't want to force my child. You know, I am all about getting everybody as positive as and as happy as possible because we only have one life to live and we have to make the most of it. Right. Amen Very to that. Good. And we only uh, briefly addressed your book, but I see that it's up on the shelf behind you. Uh, uh, the Verbal Behavior Approach, How to Teach Children with Autism and Related Disorders. Where can people get that? Um, that's available at Amazon. I pub- We published this book It's with uh, Jessica Kingsley Publishers, published in 2007. So it is 12 years old, which I can't even believe it. I wrote it from my perspective as a parent as well as a behavior analyst. And it has sold more than 50,000 copies is in 10 languages. I had no idea it was going to be this popular. Um, get it on Amazon. Um, you can search for it on my website. I have some more information about it. It is really unique because throughout the book, in the first and last chapter are more my perspective, how I was in denial and how I coped and, and then at the end are kind of all my soapboxes, all my lessons learned. But then all throughout the middle is more of a step-by-step, like break a cookie into 10 pieces and get the child to request cookie over and over again. Um, there's even a chapter on potty training, which I tend to have some expertise in. But, um, you know, I had no idea that it was going to be so popular. But what really thrills me is that people without any background, lay people, can read this book on a plane. It's an easy read for lay people who have no uh, knowledge of autism. And it's also used in graduate level ABA text, you know, as a text, as a required text, and in some undergrad programs as well. So I think it really does a nice job of bridging the gap between people that have no knowledge and then people who have a lot of knowledge but don't know really how to break things down so that people can understand what what the important parts of mm-hmm. ABA are. Well, okay. you, uh, you've given so many resources to right. the community. Uh, so again, we want to have you say your website again, and we'll put it up on the screen. But for uh, people who are listening instead of watching, uh, Tracy, yes. can you put it back up there? And, and Mary, say it again, please. 
So MaryBarbera.com. If you can't uh, remember how to spell my last name, just try your best. Or you can even just search Mary Autism, and I will come right up as the first uh, the first option. But there's a ton of free resources. Check out all my video blogs and check out my website, MaryBarbera.com. Thank you right. so Thank much, you so for, much for joining you. us, yeah. all your great resources. Absolutely. Oh, it's, it's great. It's great what you're doing to get the word out about a variety of, of subjects in the autism world. I'd be happy to come back again in We'd the future. Thank you, Gary. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. So you um, want to take a quick break and then come yes, back and talk about tomorrow's and... show, yes, what you've got going on. Stick okay, great. Bye-bye. No, we're still here? No, we're still here. <laughs> Are we it's not okay. going anywhere? I don't have him in my ear. Is he saying no? No break? All right, we're still, okay. we're staying. All right, we're staying. Oh, so, we want to know we want Hi, Lisa Ackerman back with your Talk of Facts, the autism journey questions and answers that you need to help your child make the progress they need. I'm here to talk to you about one really important item. A lot of people ask me the question, well, Lisa, I want to see this specialist in another state. How do I do that? You know, I don't, I don't own a jet. I don't have the ability to fly um, without great pain and travel. Not a problem. We know how to get this done. So I actually encourage families, even though in travel can be a tremendous hardship getting a child with autism through security, through the plane, and in the journey to where they need to go, we have a whole white paper on TACA about how to travel with special needs kids. So it can be done. So travel, we know that can be expensive. Not everyone has an unlimited supply of cash for air flights. We love and work with this group called MiracleFlights.org. They're fantastic. They will fly you and your child, so one parent, one adult, anywhere in the United States, one time a year. Also in the TACA document are places to stay. So often you will have people in your life that love and support your family and don't know exactly how to help. Ask them to gift you their travel or their rewards cards or coupons for hotel rental car. That's a great way to be able to get maybe a hotel room that has a refrigerator or a microwave and that's close to a Whole Foods so you don't have that added cost of uh, going out to dinner, especially if your kid has a lot of allergies. It's important to note that there's not a pediatrician or a specialist by every Starbucks uh, in the United States. Close does not always equal best. So I bring up the travel point so you know that travel is possible, number one, and often it's really gonna help you get down the road faster for your kid and getting the answers you need from the specialist that knows what to do. So don't be afraid to travel. just talking about Valentine's Day and that's yes. tomorrow. Yes, and we both were trying to wear a little pink a red, little red thing, pink, yeah. uh, going on and we hope that you all have a wonderful Valentine's yes. Day. And your kiddos as well. I was just saying that, you know, uh, Jim and I, we, we're not good at Valentine's Day and our anniversary because every year something would be going on and it was usually something with Jem and that took our focus and we said we'll, we'll do something next week or whatever and that isn't the case anymore but we're out of the habit of it so I have to get that together I gotta get, get you, on just that. one more thing you gotta get uh, together well but you know I mean that's a good thing um, and do you have plans for Valentine's no Day? no plans for Valentine's Day uh, but you may have a Valentine now 
Um, I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Like, maybe. We're, she's not saying. She's Her lips are sealed. Okay. Maybe. Um, so tomorrow, though, on the show, we expect to have Bonnie Yates on the show. I'm waiting for confirmation on that. But uh, we do have, this is very interesting, we have Dr. Andrea is going to be on, and she is coming to us from Restoration Chiropractic. Um, so she is a pediatric uh, restorative chiropractor who helps uh, align children's spines because a lot of times we have, and we've had chiropractors before on the show, um, and there are different types of chiropractic um, that sometimes have been shown to be very helpful to our kids on the spectrum. Yeah, I've heard about this. Yes. Kids. Um, years ago, after I had people who were at um, the <sighs> Generation One, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Generation it's, Rescue, Generation One. When they um, have their conference. Mm -hmm. Conference is the word mm -hmm. that I couldn't come up with. I had uh, women who would go and be my person on the ground for mm -hmm. the radio show. Mm -hmm. And there was one mom that did that for me, and she came back and she said, you know, the most amazing thing I saw was a presentation from a chiropractor, and, and we had him on the show. And he practiced a kind of uh, chiropractic that was called Nuka chiropractic and talked about how there is a, a pivot place where your spine uh, and your brain, not your brain, but your skull mm -hmm. meet, and that if that gets crimped up at all, you don't get as good a blood flow. You're fine. You're not having a stroke, right. but you not are not as productive, Okay. and that all kinds of people on the spectrum and off the spectrum, when you get that realigned, that they watch like your cheeks flush and you, and you just feel better, are able to focus better. Right, right. It's, I, it's years later, and I still, I'm like, I want to get that done. Sounds like an interesting I'd like modality. For me, I'd like to have, make sure that there's enough blood getting right. to my brain. Right, Because I think I'm mildly convinced that there isn't. Okay. Most <laughs> Something's not getting to the top. So tomorrow uh, you'll have this chiropractor so, on, and you can learn about that. And she came very highly recommended to us, so I'm excited to talk to her. Plus, we'll do uh, our mindfulness mm -hmm. moment tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm fresh back from San Francisco going to a conference where I saw a presenter. I'm going to be talking about it all year long, talking about mindfulness having to do with autism parents and how it is, and, and with individuals on the spectrum and how there are hundreds of studies now who show that that helps supercharge ABA. Like you want to get more from your ABA, you do mindfulness. Okay. And so that's I'm sorry I'm. So you do mindfulness before the APA, ABA. Like you're doing mindfulness on a regular basis every single day. Okay. But you know we were told uh, before we started ABA in our generation, right? You have to get the child healthy first, right? That in order for ABA to work, your child has to be healthy because if the child is like you know doubled over, right? Got with their fists and their guts, how much you, you can still get something done, but you're not going to get as much done. Right. So you want to supercharge your your ABA, you get your child healthy first. Now they're saying do that, mm -hmm. but start practicing mindfulness mm -hmm. for the parent. They found that parents, and I've been, I'm a part of that study, parents are more effective when we've done mindfulness, and that the individuals themselves, because anxiety is such a big part of this. It is. It's and so interwoven into autism. And it's anxiety for the parents. It's anxiety for the kiddos who then become teens who have anxiety and adults who have anxiety. And mindfulness helps to address that. Okay. And in particular, a type of mindfulness that's known as ACT. So it's ACT, Acceptance Commitment um, Therapy. 
So Google it. We can we'll continue talking about that okay, tomorrow. Okay, good. Good. So. Sounds like an exciting show. Yeah, we'll have a good time. Sorry, you won't be here. Yeah, off, me too. You're off doing things to make money for Active grants day. for autism care today. Yes. A new name. Exactly. Stop saying act today. <laughs> we all do, but we're working on it. Right. In any case, thank you for being with us, uh, Nancy, and and for doing all the things that you do. We have a we actually have like two minutes according to my clock. Okay. And I would love it if you would just tell people because you have a run coming up. We do. That's um, is it April sixth? I hope I'm. Oh my gosh, that's really soon. Right. It's uh, in San Diego, and okay. it's for uh, military children with autism. Yes. This is like um, we've done this run for a number of years. And it, it's a special fund for military children because they're particularly hard hit because they have to relocate so many times yes. and oftentimes have a parent deployed. So uh, we look at their specific needs. And this is a 10K, 5K fun run, Easter bunny, Easter egg hunt. Love it. I'm afraid I didn't get the date right, though. I'm, I'm hoping you it's didn't not, get the it's date not right. April because 6th. Because if it's April 6th, no, I can't it's be not. there. It's not. Okay. So um, we'll find I, what the date is. We have to but find out what April. the date is. It's but in that's April. really it's, early it's in April. During Easter break, so it couldn't be April 6th. Okay. Well, I'm happy to hear that because I can't come on April 6th. Okay. Uh, April 6th is, I already committed to, it's the Fullerton Cares Mardi Gras for Okay. So I want to come to your run. I don't want to okay. be... Um, so I'll let's have to, check unfortunately, my brain is muddled right now. I tell and I don't you, have I, I think here in L.A. where we've had just rain, 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 and rain, And we have rain again today. And it's I like love living rain. in Seattle. But, I, but I, I said that this morning, too. I was like, do we live in Seattle now? Right, it's totally What's different. Up? Like, we don't know what to do with it, you guys. No. We, we haven't had sunshine in way too long. Right. We're going to need those lights that everybody needs all around the world. We don't normally have to do that uh, here in L.A. But in any case, uh, we'll find out when the run is. But you guys can be virtual runners. Yes, you can. You, you don't can have to come it. to go San to, Diego. Go to Act Today's website at act-today.org, and it will give you all the information on the run so you can participate or be a virtual runner. And if you can be there, it's a beautiful, you can run, you can walk, you can do whatever. It's a wonderful opportunity. It's to at Tecalote Shores in San Diego, it's which is just, just beautiful. stunning. Right across from SeaWorld. Exactly, and uh, fun, fun people there. It's a really fun day, over by noon, and then you can go do something else in San Diego. I love to do that Yeah, trip. it's a fun day. Um, I love to stop at the, can I just tell on myself? Yeah. I love to stop at the fermentation farm on the way home in Costa Mesa, they make um, probiotic uh, coconut yogurt that's mm -hmm. called Zingy Yogurt. Mm -hmm. And they make, oh, it's the best thing ever. You should have Wyatt try it. Jen like says, are we going to that yogurt place again? It's a wonderful one. And then they sell things like sauerkraut right. and fermented beans. Mm -hmm. And, oh, you guys, it's good, it's good. And they have classes. It's my hope and dream to take a class someday. Learn how to ferment. I want to. So good for uh, us. I have the jars and everything. I just haven't done it. We should do a whole segment on that. Okay, All we'll right. do that. All right, I'm waking up now. And now we're done. Okay. In any case, uh, thank you guys so much for being here with us always uh, on the show. We're going to be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And give yourselves a hug from me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now.